I'm sure Jim and Lynn are going to love to hear this. <laughs> uh, we had our own little fight club that we would uh, run after school. And here in Houston, there's bayous everywhere. So we would just go to like secluded bayous and, uh, and just have, uh, you know, fights in the bayous. And we would film them and put them on YouTube. And welcome to the Hobbs Happenings Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Hobbs, and thanks so much for joining us today. Today on the podcast, I have a guest all the way from Houston, Texas, but thank goodness it's not Natalia because she took too long last time. It's her wonderful husband, Brian. Brian, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. See, I knew that the way to get in your good graces would be to throw your wife under the bus before we even start the interview, and then we'd be friends. You know me so well. <laughs> So what have you been up to recently? How's the police life treating you? Uh, work, work, and more work, man. You know how it is. Um, yeah. Got to keep the lights on and the and the fridge full. So <sighs> always overtime opportunities in the position that I'm in, and uh, you know, uh, got dreams for the family. So got to take advantage when I can. There you go. Well, you're a lot nicer than Steven. You said that I would know how work is. He always tells me that I don't work. So kudos to you. <laughs> um, how is being a new father of three? Um, well, you know, I, I feel like as the, uh, the more kids you get, the easier it gets, you know, yeah, they all kind of start running together. So <laughs> you still remember all of their names. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I have my cheat sheet, but yeah, I mean, um, I mean, to be honest with you, because of my shift and all that, Natalia does all the heavy lifting. So I kind of show up and, you know, feed the kids, give them a bath and wear them out. And that's about it. Cool beans. Well, I'm excited to meet the new one. Is it, is it Madeline? Madeline? Uh, well, depends on who you ask. <laughs> I say Madeline, and and Natalia says Madeline, and I think that's because she just wants to have every one of her daughters named Lynn. Yes. And so she, yeah, so she pronounces it like that. You got okay. Natalia Lynn, Maya Lynn, and now Madeline. <laughs> well, I'll say Madeline with you. We'll be on the same thing. There you go. Got to gang up. Yeah, on you're me. always my favorite. See, I knew it. That's for everybody. I'm Brian's favorite. No disputing it now. Oh, yeah, I forgot but. this was live, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit it out later. Don't worry. <laughs> I told Taya before um, that on one of these, I really want to go through and, like, tell somebody. Because a lot of times people will be like, well, you might need to edit this out. But I really want to go through and tell them that I'm going to edit it out and then not edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get them to open up a that. little bit more. Yeah, and, and and have that whole thing on the podcast too. Like you hear me saying, "Oh, I'll edit it out later. Don't worry." Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that would be hilarious. <laughs> so you're doing that right now, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you, Brian. Not at all. Good, because I'll put a warrant out for you too. Oh. Jim's already barred from coming to Texas. No. <laughs> Listen, I got kicked out of the Mormon temple, and they were <laughs> so I'm, I'm dodging the law already. 
which I didn't realize I probably wouldn't have, you know, been so forward with, you know, telling people about the gospel and stuff at the Mormon temple if I had known that they have such pretty Christmas lights there because I would have been afraid that they were serious about me not coming back. And then I couldn't go and look at all the Christmas lights at Temple Square. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never been, but uh, I heard that you have to kind of be a little bit careful. So Yes. Yes, this is the case. I didn't do that. My mistake. But now I know better. It's okay. Well, you know, don't want you to come up missing. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. I was told, my class today told me that there's a a, a, a Mormon mafia or a Mormon mob, one of the two. I don't think that's true, but, you know, it's whatever. If they are true, they're listening to this podcast, and they're coming after me. So hopefully it's not. You know, I, I would be more inclined to believe that it is. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. <laughs> but you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I got. I mean, I got two. I had a brother and a brother-in-law that are both police officers. I feel moderately safe. Except you guys live on the opposite end of the country, so that really doesn't help me. <laughs> Uh, it is what it is i also got a trailer stolen and you know you would think if i have two police officers in the family y'all could help me with that but i don't think you're gonna find my trailer (laughs) Uh, i mean who knows andrew i didn't know you i didn't know you lived i didn't know you lived in the ghetto so (laughs) actually it was from my school that it got stolen out in front of the church yeah Sounds like a welcome to the school from the students. Yes, yes. I hope they enjoy it. Maybe have parties in there or something. But anyways, this podcast isn't about me. It's about you, Brian. And we're going to talk about who you are and really get into your feelings, you know, and how things affected you growing up. Doesn't that sound like fun? Well, it's 2018, man. We are going to be in touch with our feelings. That's right. So let's start with a real softball question that my older siblings had a terrible time with. When and where were you born? Los Angeles County in Silmar, California, September of 1990. Back in the day. Right. You're so young, Brian. Me and you were just... I am. I am very young. But I don't even sure. have any white hairs yet. Yep. That's what. That's what I've been told. I've also been told I'm very immature, so. Well, if it just balances out, that means you're normal. It's okay. Yeah. It's a lot more than some people can say. Uh-huh. So, uh, how many siblings do you have? Uh, two sisters. And what are their names again? Remind me. Uh, Jamie's the older one, and Cindy's the younger one. And okay. I am the oldest. Yep. Gotcha. What's the age difference between you and the two of them? Oh, we're all two years apart. So two years for me to Jamie and two years from her to Cindy. All right. Well, it sounds like your parents had good planning when it came to spacing you guys out if it's two years apart. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's actually, it's a little more uh, accurate than that. I think we're all exactly one year and nine months apart. Really? Yeah. So. Interesting. Well, that's pretty cool. What, um. Were you close to both of them or either of them growing up? Yeah. um, I would say that we were pretty close for for, uh, siblings. Especially, I mean, I was the only boy. And so they were probably closer to each other than they were to me. But we were still pretty close. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we still 
got in the same trouble and you know did the same shenanigans so mm-hmm. and he said Jamie and Cindy is that right yeah okay so what what was Jamie like growing up what kind of a, a younger sister was she uh so I think it's funny because um when I look at Maya and Sophia I see Jamie and Cindy so much um so I w- I would say Jamie was like Sophia uh as in she was very grumpy and you couldn't tell her anything and Cindy was like Maya uh hyperactive and uh, you know loves everyone so gotcha so what kind of things did a, a young Brian like to do for fun when you were growing up uh I think I was your uh stereotypical city kid um I was big into the skateboarding scene um uh I actually used to be very much into basketball um and then as I got older um uh, and I became more musically inclined um uh, I was in a couple of small bands uh we were moderately active in the in the greater LA music scene, uh, played a few gigs. And then, uh, when I turned 15 or yeah, when I was 15, we moved to Texas and I kind of left all that stuff behind and, uh, assumed a new identity. Okay. What were, um, what kind of music did you guys play in the bands that you had? Um, we did a lot of throwback to 80s thrash metal and then like new post grunge metal stuff. Um, you know, heavier music. Mm. What, um, do you have any cool band names from those days? Uh, no, they were all stupid, uh, cheesy, what you would expect from teenagers. (laughs) <laughs> so i think uh the most successful band that i was in was called the unofficials uh so <laughs> the talent was there but i don't think that name was gonna get us anywhere <laughs> gotcha so what um what was your role in the band what what did you play uh i was either it depended um uh for the most part i played the guitar um and then I did a few stints as a drummer, but I didn't have my own drum set, so it would depend on if the kids that I was playing with had a drum set and if they needed a drummer. Gotcha. So no no lead singer, Brian? I'm surprised. No. I, <clears throat> For some reason, man, I've always had trouble with singing and playing the guitar at the same time. Yeah? Yeah, it's well, just... I mean, I, I can't even play the guitar, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Hey, man. Well, if that's the case, I'm only one step ahead of you. There you go. <laughs> but, well, that's cool. You, you said you like to play basketball and stuff growing up, too? Yeah. So, um, in, in Los Angeles, especially in the 90s, um, the Lakers were a huge deal. And so, you know, being a kid, you're just a bandwagon fan anyways. Um, so, I loved the Lakers growing up, and all we did during recess was play basketball. That sounds like heaven. Yeah, yeah. Working it was uh, the same place. Yeah, uh, <laughs> isn't uh, Randall over in, with the Lakers right now? 
Uh, I know that he was. He might still be there. I should keep up yeah. with the NBA more. It's too many games. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't even know, Andrew. To be honest with you, I don't even care for sports anymore. See, that's such a shame. What was there a traumatic experience with sports, Brian? Is that what took you away? No, I. Uh, I just I can't get into the whole celebrity lifestyle, and yeah. most of those people have whack job, you know, political beliefs and. It's just a mess. And want to express have, them all the time, too. Yeah. It, it's no longer about sports. It's about the individual, you know, psycho that's playing on the field. Yeah. Well, and I understand using your platform to contribute to things that you think are important, like funding schools and children's hospitals and stuff like that. But it's amazing to me that people really do go – to get their political advice sometimes from like professional basketball players or actors and actresses. And it just seems a little strange, but you know, whatever. Yeah. No, I, I have a huge problem with that. And I think that's, you know, that's probably one of the biggest reasons that people are so stupid today. Maybe. (laughs) So basketball, playing in a couple of bands, drumming and uh, playing the guitar too, and then your skater days. So that I don't know much about skateboards and whatnot, but like David has told me there are skateboards and there are longboards, and that's all I know. So what what, what did you Yeah. When, well, eh, where where and when I grew up, uh, longboards were not a thing. Um, I think they just went out of style because... Uh, L.A., especially in Glendale, where we moved after, you know, when I was a little bit older. Um, there's a lot of hills, so it'd be perfect for longboarding, but no. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all shortboards. Um, and then, even then, you have two different, you know, two different styles. You can skate at parks, or you can be a street skater. Um, and But I, me and, and the kids that I hung out with we were street skaters um yeah so sneak into schools on the weekends or uh go to parks and just like you know anywhere that you find a curb or something we'd be there tearing it up Mm -hmm. so it was uh definitely you know i think growing up in la where uh identities are so much more um defined you know mm-hmm. so you had like it was super cliche like you watch a movie uh that takes place in high school and you have your clicks and stuff that's exactly how it was and so um you know you had your your grungy kids your scare kids your emo kids the drama kids and um i don't know it's just very interesting so even within the skater community there's you know street skaters and park skaters and uh and then some some people were even uh, even more defined than that. You know, you, you stick to a certain brand or a certain company, and so you only ride boards that are from that company or whatever. You know, hmm. so every community, man, you you can go way down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So what yeah. what were you defined as then? If it was all very specifically- uh, well, I only skated World Industries, um, and I only. And I was only a street skater. Um, and so, 
Uh, I think, yeah, for the most part, there's me, the, there's this group of kids that I hung out with on, and, and we all lived on the same street. And then like two streets over, there was another group of kids. And, uh, sometimes we'd get into fights over who got to skate in a certain spot. And so yeah. very clicky, very clicky. Do you have, from growing up, do you have any memories of any, like, really close friends that you had or guys that you would hang out with all the time? Uh, yeah. Um, there's a few guys, uh, but, you know, like I said, we weren't, like, the most well-intentioned kids sometimes, you know. Um, and especially where I grew up, they're, you know, kind of troublemakers. Um, so... There's, you know, one or two that kind of stayed on an okay path that I mm. um, sporadically keep in touch with. And then, uh, you know, some of them went to jail. Some of them were, you know, uh, turned to drugs and God knows where they are now. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. There's some gang activity where I grew up to. So some, you know, some kids joined gangs. Um, but yeah, not, not really. I've never been the kind of person to like really hang on to friendships either. Mm-hmm. Oh. What, um, what would you say is the biggest difference, uh, growing up in a big city like LA from living somewhere else? Like your time, I know at least, you know, you spent time in Shelbyville for a little bit and that's obviously not a big city and maybe you've lived other places that aren't, you know, are definitely not as big as LA. But what do you think is the biggest difference between living in or growing up in L.A. as opposed to living in or growing up in, you know, Shelbyville or name your small town? Right. Um, so, you know, obviously I didn't grow up in Shelbyville, but and this is just like an outsider's opinion. Um, I, I would I would wish for all kids to grow up in small town environments. Um, OK. You know, uh, living in the city is great. You know, it's fun, um, but it's busy. You have a lot of nasty people, um, you know, and anywhere that you put a bunch of people together, it's just it's bound to go downhill um, because you get so many different kinds of personalities and cultures and it just all clashes and it gets messy and, you know, um, I mean, uh, Kentucky is like, you know, the meth capital of the world, but you don't ever hear about it because mm-hmm. they're out in their own little corners and they don't bother anyone. And, you know, in your small town, it kind of, you kind of, sh- you're sheltered from all that. Um, yeah. you know, when you're so compact and, and just packed together, like somewhere like LA or even Houston, uh, you know, you see all that stuff. So. You know, growing up, I would I, I would look out the window uh, of my room and see kids in the apartment behind us getting jumped into gangs. Um, you know, you see drug dealing. You see, um, it's just different, man. I would, you know, where what what kind of effect do you think that that had on you? Just making you know, you grow up faster, realize things because you see them, or. No, I think, uh, like with anything else, uh, you know, the more you're exposed to it, the more you kind of, it just 
tunes into the background and it's just background noise. But then when you move somewhere else, you realize uh, how polluted the environment is, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going from somewhere busy to somewhere like Shelbyville, Kentucky, it's you're not going to notice it while you're living in L.A., but when you uh-huh. move out, you realize it. Like uh, when we moved to Houston, the part of Houston that um, we moved to, it wasn't busy at all at the time. This was back in 2006. Um, And I remember that I couldn't sleep because I couldn't hear sirens. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's just weird stuff like that. It's just the little details that, I mean, you never really think about until, until you, you know, you kind of go through it. Um, Yeah. But. Yeah, growing up in small town USA, uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing, you know. You can walk down the street and say hi to your neighbors, but you can't do that in some neighborhoods in LA, you know. Gotcha. So, you mentioned moving to to Houston. What was behind that move for your family? Why did you guys pack up and move to Texas? Um, so that's a multiple multiple part answer my dad when he first came to the united states he actually went straight to houston and lived there for a little bit um so you know houston was his original home um and uh when we were in la my dad had a job transfer to houston um from with his company and uh la was so expensive we were living in a two-bedroom apartment paying uh, i think it was like twenty three hundred dollars a month wow you know, and so it was pretty much going to be impossible to to own a house of a decent size over there. So I think the the move just made sense to my parents. Um, and uh, he came over. My dad came over, looked in in a few neighborhoods, bought a house, and took the transfer. Uh, but what sucked was after we moved over here, he found out that somebody messed up the paperwork for his transfer and he didn't have a job here waiting for him. Oh and man. So yeah. So for, for the first few years it was kind of rough, um, you know, cause my parents had worked so hard for the house that they bought and, you know, now they were doing everything that they could to, to keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though we moved here for affordable housing, it kind of met with a, uh, unforeseen circumstances that threatened that, that dream or that goal. Yeah. Uh, now, what did you know, your parents? What did your parents do for work? Uh, my dad is by by schooling. He's an accountant, but he's always worked in escrow, uh, which is you know in the real estate field. And uh, my mom's always worked with kids, either like being a nanny or something. Now she's a teacher, um, mm-hmm. so she kind of just worked odd jobs to help us stay afloat. Gotcha. Now, what what was the move like for you as a were you fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, okay. fifteen years old. What what did you think of the move, like the prospect of moving, and then the realization of it wasn't quite like you guys expected it to be? Um. So up until that move, I think I'd you know I'd been in a handful of states. Um, and anytime we visited anywhere, it was always a big city. So, um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I, 
I thought Texas was going to be, you know, farmland and cowboys and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I did not want to move at all. You know, all my friends were in California. I grew up in California. I didn't, uh, I didn't see a life outside of California, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was, you know, about to go into high school or, you know, um, so, so I was excited to do all that stuff and then just to get uprooted at during the summer. And, and, uh, so I don't know, I feel like I was probably a little bit bitter coming over. Um, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to move. Um, and, uh, remember, and did your, did your sisters, did you guys talk about that at all? Or were they upset about it or I'm sure, I'm sure we did. Um, but you know, at, at that point, you know, we're, I was a teenager, Jamie was a teenager and Cindy was about mm-hmm. to be, teenager, so we're all kind of like finding our own space and hanging out with our own groups. And yeah, so I think I'm sure we all had different opinions about it. Um, Cindy was a little bit younger, so I don't think she she really minded as much. Um, but me and Jamie, you know, we were we're starting to get set in our social circles and kind of doing the grown up thing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really remember talking to him too much about it. I know I I, I know that we did, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think being excited about finally living in a house offset a lot of the upset. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I remember uh, when we first got here, the grass, cause my dad had bought the house a few months prior to us moving. And I remember the grass was like up to my waist in the front yard. Uh, and my dad's like, yeah, you're going to have to cut that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never, I'd never, I'd never done any yard work in my life prior to that, you know, and then I had to cut waist high grass with a, with a push mower. Yeah. And Big yeah. Mess. Yeah. And then that, that, that first night, man, it was so quiet in that neighborhood and that was unnerving. I didn't, it was weird. You know, I'm, I was used to going to bed and hearing sirens and, you know, neighbors down the street playing music all night. And mm-hmm. it was just weird, man. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like it for the first few months, man. I, I hated Houston. To be honest with you, but did it grow on you? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I would go back to California at all. Yeah, I like Houston. Although the older I get, man, the the more peace and quiet that I need. So, <laughs> well, I'd like to move further out, but you know, I'm already at an hour commute right now. Yeah. Do you really get peace and quiet though at that house with the three little girls and? Your wife, that is, I mean, we love her, but sometimes a, a loud and talkative person. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a night owl. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've ever told you that or not, but um, I love staying up late. And so, you know, when I'm up and doing stuff, it's it's beautiful. It's quiet. You know, the only thing I hear sometimes is, uh, you know, car going down the freeway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. These kids, uh, they're they're loud, but <clears throat> I don't mind, man. Loud kids is a sign of a happy house. There you go. That's true. I think Daddy would definitely agree with you. He's always said, <laughs> um, like during during church services and stuff, 
he's always uh, a strange person that's happy whenever he hears a baby crying because he thinks that's just a wonderful thing that, you know, people have their their kids that are at least around, you know, for for church and stuff like that. But so, uh, yeah, yeah. You you said uh, that whenever you moved to Texas, you kind of reinvented yourself a little bit. What did what did that look like? Um. So, uh, I, I, uh, you know, when you move somewhere new and you, you don't have any friends, and you know, you kind of start hanging out with whoever's friendly, right? Um. So I started hanging out with kids who were like huge into the hip hop scene. Um. And, and especially in Houston, we have like our own uh, special brand of hip hop. It's, uh, it's, dude, you got a ghost in your house or something? I think he's moving. No, it's... I'm trying to, <laughs> I have my hand, I'm trying to move it to see. I don't know why it's so dark in this room. I don't understand. Because, <laughs> like, to me, looking around, it looks very light. But yeah. I have the lamp there and I have the other light on and it's just not. <laughs> I'm like thinking that your house is possessed or something. (laughs) It is. It's all the the Mormon ghosts. That's what it is. But, uh, yeah, so in Houston, you know, uh, there's a type of hip-hop called Chopped and Screw. Those, you know, kind of big. Um, And then, you know, especially I was getting older, um, so I started becoming a little bit more independent. Um, But, uh, and this was around the time that uh, mixed martial arts was getting huge. And so... I started getting into mixed martial arts and uh, um, I'm sure Jim and Lynn are going to love to hear this. (laughs) Uh, We had our own little fight club that we would uh, run after school. And here in Houston, there's bayous everywhere. So we would just go to like secluded bayous and, uh, and just have, uh, you know, fights in the bayous and we would film them and put them on YouTube and, uh, you know, we'd always title them like, uh, boxing versus wrestling or boxing versus kickboxing or oh. jiu-jitsu versus wrestling. It was so, it was so cheesy. It's really just a, it's just a bunch of kids, you know, with too much testosterone, uh, you know, having fun. <laughs> it was so dumb. Um, and, and, you know, I always, I never thought about it at the time, but, you know, being a dad now, it's like, man, what if one of us got hurt? You know, it's, it, yeah, it's so dumb, but it was, it was fun, man. I'm sure. I'm sure if I dug around, <laughs> I'd be able to find a couple of the videos on YouTube. That but, would be um, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I started doing that. And then I always knew that I had wanted to join the military. But um, in California, you don't see any JROTCs. Well, in the school that I started going to in Houston, there was a JROTC. So I started getting into that. And um, so, you know, so, I, you know, I, I was... I, uh, at first I, I did not like Houston, but I, I'd like to say that I, uh, you know, that I adapted very well. Um, you know, I made friends all over the place. I saw different, you know, different sides of, uh, that I'd never seen in California. Like, you know, um, you know, like kids grew, grew up doing farm stuff. We had the future farmers of America, you know, it was a very, very diverse, which is funny because in, you know, California and, Los Angeles, you know, all the liberals, they talk about diversity, but you see the same people over and over and over again. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like there's probably more diversity here in Texas. Hmm. That's interesting. So did you stay up with uh, the music stuff at all, uh, playing guitar and things like that? 
No, I uh, I don't know, man. I I like to say that I just got lazy, but I mean, honestly, it's just limited time. You know, you only have twenty four hours in a day. Yeah, working overtime. I work a second job. You know, uh, and then you you know you got kiddos to play with and. You know, sometimes I make dinner and then I have to go to the gym and also try to get eight hours of sleep in, which doesn't always happen. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I got my guitars hanging up and uh, every once in a while I get the, the urge to kind of strum out a tune. But uh, I got too much on my plate right now. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so especially as musical as I was, um, you know, I played the, I I was a percussionist. I played the bass drum and the snare drum and the drum line. I played the French horn and the concert band. I played the violin, um, in the string orchestra. And then I picked up the guitar, you know, so if I wanted to keep up with my music, it did be way too much. Yeah. Now, did all this, did the music stop whenever you moved to Texas or did you keep it up through high school and stuff? Uh, I did one year of it. Um, um, I got, I, I stayed with it for about a year, I think. Um, I did the, I did the marching band. Um, and I auditioned for their orchestra. And then for some reason I decided I didn't want to do it. I think it's because, um, I, in the JROTC program, I had gotten a promotion and they were going to like put me in charge of this special squad or whatever. And so, you know, knowing that I wanted to be in the military, I thought that would probably be a better use of my time. Um, so yeah, so I, I did it for like a year and then I, that was it. Okay. What about uh, school in general growing up? Did you like school? Were there any certain subjects that you enjoyed? Um, I enjoyed science and math and i was completely horrible at everything else <laughs> so science and math yeah but you know what man i i uh i i really really disliked homework and uh so i had mom and dad are with you on that one they hate homework they think that well uh, you you have my kid at school for eight hours why on earth can't you teach them what they need to know there <laughs> yeah right um, so yeah, so, and I was such a, I was such a little rebel, you know? Um, so I did, I did well on tests because I, you know, I actually did pay attention to the material, but I didn't participate in class. I didn't do my homework, you know? Um, so I was actually a very horrible student. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I didn't really like school. Gotcha. But uh, the J or what the J R O C T T C yeah what, what, what is the letter yeah. there R O T C okay the J R O T C um was that something that you I guess you just really latched on to uh, in high school down in Texas yeah yeah I mean it's fun it was a structured program you know it was in line with what I wanted my career to be um and so you know I, I jumped in with both feet um. I did their summer leadership programs. I was involved in, there was like a little, uh, we call it the, the rocket science team or something like that, where mm-hmm. we would build model rockets and, uh, and fly them and like, you know, do competitions against other schools. 
I was with the drill team. Um, so like rifle drills, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so like if you ever see the drill teams performing at like basketball games or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was in the color guard, so I did, you know, um, the flag stuff. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, I, I had wanted to join the Marine Corps, but this was Air Force ROTC. And so it kind of, you know, it, it started making me want to join the Air Force instead. Um, obviously I didn't join the Air Force, but, um, it was, it was, it was good times. It was fun times. I really liked the program. I think, uh, I think, uh, it, it probably was what kept me more interested in school than anything else. Yeah. When uh when did you decide that you were wanting to join the military? Um so kind of a little backstory. My grandfather was a captain in the Water- Guatemalan Army uh military police. Huh. And so growing up, you know, my dad would tell me stories about my grandpa. Um and I I I barely got to know him. I met him in 1996 and then uh we left and he died three years later in 1999. So I had met him once, you know, uh, but, you know, the stories my dad told me, man, I love them. So yeah. uh, if it, my parents have pictures of me, you know, when I'm like seven or eight, you know, doing salutes and stuff like that. So I, it, it, the desire was born very young. I can't, you know, I won't be able to pinpoint it, but, um, I remember, man, I can't remember. So I, I, one of my cousin's husbands was in the Navy, and this was back in California. I remember talking to him about it. Um, and this, I mean, this had to have been like in 2004 or something. And at the time, I already knew that I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Uh, and he, he's a Navy guy, so he tried to convince me to join the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, yeah, man, I've always had the desire to do it. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was just, you know, some people, some people just have it in them to, you know, go be a doctor or whatever. Some people have it in them to be police officers, like Stephen. Um, you know, for me, it was just always the military. That's awesome. That is really cool. I didn't know all that uh, background stuff, but that's neat. So then you you enlisted right out of high school is that right yep i uh i was actually supposed to wait a little bit longer than i did just because of the way the contract was set up um but i remember in august of 2009 my recruiter called me and he said hey man um i got an opportunity for you to ship out in like two weeks you want it and i said heck yeah man um but the only stipulation was that I had to ship out under a different job specialty. And so um, that's how I ended up being an aviation ordinance man, because that, that's what was available. And uh, I, you know, I didn't do any research. I just knew I wanted to be a Marine. So I didn't, I just signed the contract and then, yeah, <laughs> you know, get through all the training and realize it's like, Hey, this isn't what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> You know, if I waited, if I had waited a few months longer, I I could have gotten the job that I originally wanted, but it worked out. It was, a, you know, it was a fun job. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't trade my experiences for anything. Yeah. And you went out, is is that immediately whenever you were out in Hawaii? 
No. So you do boot camp in I did boot camp in San Diego for three months. Uh, then I did another month in Camp Pendleton, which is around Oceanside, California, for about another month. And um, and then from there, I went to Pensacola for what we call uh, A school. Hmm. Uh, where I learned aviation ordinance, you know, common core stuff. And then from there, uh, and I can't remember how long I was. I think it was maybe two or three months in Pensacola. And then I went from there to North Carolina to Cherry Point Naval Air Station. Uh, actually, Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, um, where I, where we went to sea school. So sea school teaches you your frame-specific stuff. So my frame was uh, uh, intermediate level uh, MU aircraft, Marine Expeditionary Unit aircraft. So I dealt with anything that could that could fly off of a Mew. So all helicopters, Ospreys, uh, and the AV-8B Harrier uh, jump jet. Um, and so that's where I learned the specifics for that. However, once I got my orders to Hawaii, it was not for anything remotely related to my job. <laughs> huh. So I actually went to Ammo Supply Point um, and dealt with uh, am- ammunition and explosives logistics. For the island. So once once you joined the military, was it all you thought it would be? Were you uh, surprised at the differences? Were you was it better than you thought? What 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 was it like? Um. So like I said, that you know that wasn't my original job choice. Um. So I I would like to say, you know, that I was a little underwhelmed. Um, because Hawaii is a very easy duty station, you know, um, at the time there weren't any more units deploying out of Hawaii. There was only a few units doing rotations to, uh, Afghanistan. And I think the, the last rotation to Iraq had already passed. And so it was, you know, it was, it's peacetime military, man. You know, there's no push for any preparedness you know it's there's it's there's all it's all training um and you know you're not you're not training to go to war so it's a different it's a different mentality and i went to a non-deployable unit anyways so even if i even if there were rotations to afghanistan my number wouldn't have gotten called up Hmm. um so that that was always uh a bit of a disappointment for me you know i think uh I think, I mean, the whole point of the military is to deploy, um, you know, overseas. And so I was a little underwhelmed. Um, I tried to move to a different job, um, but I came up short. The requirements were extremely high. And uh, I think, you know, the job that I'm trying to go, uh, that I was trying to go into had like a 70% attrition rate. And uh, Mm -hmm. fortunately, I was one of those 70%. Yeah. Was that the uh, MARSOC? That yeah, MARSOC. yeah. Marine Operations Command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that was a, was a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, it was a very tough selection program. Um, and so that's that's kind of along the lines of what I originally wanted to do. I originally wanted to be a reconnaissance Marine. Um and re- recon marines, it, you know, for anybody that knows a little bit about the Marine Corps, it's like they're 
the they're a Marine's Marine. Um, they do all all the hard stuff, you know, jumping out of airplanes, diving, uh, you know, snipers, all that stuff that's in the reconnaissance community. Yeah. And so uh, you know. Uh I guess just the, the way things went, it just you know, it wasn't in the cards for me. Gotcha. Do you make any um or do you have any good stories, I guess, from your time in the Marine Corps? Uh so I would love to tell you, Andrew. Um <laughs> but the thing about the Marine But then Corps you'd is, have to kill me. Yeah, well the Marine Corps is not very PG. Um mm-hmm. you know, it's a, a bunch of roughneck dudes. Um I mean half the half of the Marine Corps is a bunch of alcoholics. Um, uh, you know. So the shenanigans and the stuff that we get into is just uh it's what you would expect out of a bunch of dudes that want to be war fighters, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But no, I, I met a lot of uh, great people uh, in the Marine Corps. Uh, did a lot of cool things, you know. I had my first helicopter ride in the Marine Corps. Um, I went on a on an amphibious assault vehicle, um, which if you ever get the opportunity to ride in one of those, don't. Um, <laughs> because the whole time you're you're smelling diesel fumes it's in the dark because you're inside this floating metal death machine yeah uh, and and you're getting seasick because it you know you feel every wave and uh they break down like 70 percent of the time so we got to the break where the surf breaks and it broke down and so uh you know we're sitting at the surf forever while they're trying to get this thing started so Yeah, if if we ever need to use those in an actual amphibious assault where we need to take a beach or something, it's not happening. <laughs> so, well, that's yeah, that's comforting me here. Yeah, um, but now, man, you know, like uh, the place where I worked, um, it was a huge hill uh, on the east side of Oahu that used to be. Well, it still is, but it, it has has. Uh, they're the only ones in the entire Department of Defense. We have magazines that are bored into the side of the mountain uh, where we store our ammo. Um, so that was interesting. You know, you're going to like these, you know, 150 foot long tunnels just lined to the brim with explosives. Um, yeah. There's also some old uh, shelters for, you know, just in case Japanese bombed uh, during World War II. That's where they would send all their higher ups, but they were abandoned and nasty um you know that's where i first got exposed to asbestos so you know mesotheliomas in my future uh (laughs) and uh the there's three sniper schools in the marine corps one of them is in hawaii and uh they would part of their course was up on our on our mountain where they would do high angle shooting and so it was interesting you know got to got to work with sniper students and see how they how they shot and you know we would escort them because it was our property um you know uh, you know lots of lots of fun times on waikiki um you know exploring the island uh first learned how to surf out there on uh, i think it was whitehead beach i think hmm. um so yeah man hawaii's fun you know do a lot of do a lot of cool things um you know i think one of the things that that is so great about the Marine Corps is you go through shared misery with a lot of people. And, uh, 
you know, when you all have something similar to complain about for some reason, it just makes it closer. So there you go. <laughs> you know, I'll have to tell mom and dad. That's why um, us six kids uh, that they raised are all so close because we had the the shared memory or the shared misery of being raised by them. Right? Is that how that works? <laughs> yep, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> But well, was it was it difficult for you getting out of the Marine Corps and going on and doing other things? Um, yes, I like I said, I had planned a career in the military um, at the time. Um, you know, Barack Obama was president, so uh, he had this brilliant idea to downsize the military, and so we had what we called the drawdown, where you know, everybody was getting kicked out left and right. You know, um, if someone had a tattoo, get kicked out. If somebody, you know, gained a few pounds, get kicked out. You know, somebody uh, came in with a bad haircut on a Monday, write them up. Okay, you got written up, you're getting kicked out. Um, nice. You know, so, uh, so they're, I mean, and it's not, it's not the Marine Corps' fault, but they're told what to do and they have to do it. So uh, I, in my ultimate wisdom, uh, said, I don't like my job. I want to go do something else. So I went and tried out for MARSOC. Uh, didn't make it. And by the time I came back to Hawaii, um, it was too late for me to re-enlist in my job. And so uh, I tried, you know, air, a bunch of other jobs, see if they had openings so I could re-enlist. But a lot of them had uh, anything that's left over at the end of the fiscal year. Um, it's because it's either got a rank requirement or you got to try out or both. And so most of the, uh, the other jobs that were left over, I had to either try out for, which I didn't have enough time on my contract to do so, or they had a rank requirement because it wasn't an entry level job and I didn't meet the rank requirement. And so, mm. you know, I, uh, I had to get out, unfortunately. Um, and it was, it was difficult. Because now you have to figure out, you know, well, what is it that I want to do besides this, you know? Um, and so I was like, well, you know, I have the GI Bill. I'll go to school. Well, then Natalia got pregnant. Um, and so that wasn't going to happen. You know, I got to I gotta bring some money in now. Um, so, you know, school was tossed aside. And <clears throat> then I had the bright idea to get a job at Edwards. <laughs> So we we've all done that at least once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so now now and and uh, I uh I'd like to say that, you know, I'm a I'm a hard worker and so I feel like I probably could have made a career at Edwards, but I quickly realized that's not what I wanted to do. Um when it's hard, you know, dad even I mean he's great at what he does and stuff and he has a unique position being a part of the family and then also a foreman where we could travel with them and stuff, but just being, you know, yeah. for, for the average worker being away from your family that much, that's, that's rough. Yeah, it, it was, you know, I missed a lot of Maya's first year. Um, you know, I would come back and she'd, you know, grow 10 times bigger. Um, and so, um, I honestly had never given thought to being a police officer. Um, not really, anyways. Um, and uh, my dad sent me a message. He's like, hey, you know, I know you want to 
come back to Houston. Uh, the police department was hiring. And uh, he had also sent me, I think, the uh, game wardens, Texas game wardens. Um, mm-hmm. but anyways, so I was like, uh, I'll give it a try, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if that's the kind of people you want policing the streets, but that's kind of <laughs> the mentality I went into it with. Um, and so, anyways, um, <clears throat> I guess I look good on paper because they hired me. There you go. Not too shabby. Well, probably someone that was in the military and that is also fluent in Spanish is a, a pretty hot commodity working for a, a police station down in Houston. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, just like any interview, uh, you always play to your strengths. And so, yeah. you know, I, I played along. I told him, yeah, I speak Spanish. I was a veteran. You know, it's, this is the kind of people you want in your department. And, you know, um, I remember when I... So I did a fast track program because I was from out of state. And so I did the whole hiring process in four days. Wow. Well, when I was at the police headquarters uh, with the the recruiter and she was escorting me out of the building after my interview, um, there was an old police lieutenant in there and he saw my haircut and he's like, hey, son, were you in the military? And I said, yes, sir. And uh, he said, what branch? I said, uh, United States Marine Corps. And uh, he turned to my recruiter and he told her, ma'am, you make sure that this young man gets hired right away. He's like, if I have to go talk to the, if I have to go talk to the chief about it, I will. And so um, there's a huge veteran culture at HPD. Um, okay. You know, Texas is one of the biggest suppliers of young men for the military. Um, so when they all get out and come home, you know, um, so yeah, there's a. I mean, I work with vets on a daily basis. That's neat. So, um, are you are you liking the the police work pretty well? Yeah, um, you know, and I'm surprised to say that I do because it's a it's a very different job. I don't think you can really compare it to any any other job. I mean, not that I've experienced many other jobs, but uh, it's it's totally different. You you deal with people on their worst days, you know, um, everybody hates you. Even the firefighters hate you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a constant game of politics. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything else right now. I love this job. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I get to do some cool things. Yeah. What is a average day look like for you as a police officer in Houston? Well, so I'm not on patrol anymore. Um, so, you know, I have I have two different experiences to kind of go off of. But on patrol, you know, you you show up, you you there's we call it the board. There's calls on the board that are waiting. And, um, you know, you just take it a call at a time based on uh, priorities. Um, and I, I'm on a tactical unit now. Um, so our job is a little different. We don't worry about the calls. We worry about proactive investigations. Um, you know, and it depends on, uh, what the chief and the captain want, you know, sometimes they drive through our area and, and, uh, you know, I guess they're a little out of touch because they realize that it's, you know, not the greatest area. And so, uh, they come down the line saying, Hey, we want you to take care of this. Okay. So we'll go take care of it. Um, 
you know, on any given day, I could run a warrant, um, bust dope dealers, uh, get in fights with crackheads. You know, it's it just depends. Some days we don't do anything, um, you know. And being on a tactical unit, uh, we're a little more. Um, I don't know how to say it, but um, like for example, uh, I'm getting pulled to to do the George Bush funeral. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, on a tactical unit, we're a little more high profile. We're a little more um, requested throughout the department. So on any given week, I'd, I could be doing just about anything. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. And is it is it nice being back in Houston, not where you were raised necessarily, but close to your family and where you spent your high school years? Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it's like if you if you went back to Shelbyville right now, you know, you, you're in a different place, um, you know, and uh, while you're out and about in the world, you know, doing your thing, um, you know, life in Shelbyville keeps going, right? Um, mm-hmm. So when I came back to Houston, it's like, you know, hey, I'm I'm glad to be back, but Houston's changed and it's not the same place that I remember. Um, but I, you know, I still like being back in Houston. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot to do in this city. Um, there, there's a uh, we're kind of centrally located, so we can go to Austin or Dallas or San Antonio. We can go to Pensacola, you know. Um, you could go to Salt Lake. It's only like forever and a day. I mean, it's not that. Dude, far. I promise you, it's on my list. Um, I'm telling Natalia that we need to go next year, but uh, and so I'm also on the dive team, so I got to figure out. I got to work around that schedule because uh, I'm on call every other month. And then there's certain trainings that I have to go to. Um, so well, but yeah, I'll work, on, I'll work on getting a bigger apartment so that I can actually have guests. If they come, <laughs> uh, dude, we'll sleep in the car. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, no, trust me. It's, it's on my list. Utah looks beautiful. It is. It's, and I haven't even seen, most of it. I really want to go down to um, Moab and see Arches National Park. I've seen lots of pictures, and it just looks yep. awesome. Yeah, it, that that's uh, quite a hike, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a little ways. I drive past Moab, or I can. There are like three different routes that you can go from Utah or from Salt Lake to Colorado Springs that I like to visit from time to time for some unknown reason, and. Uh, so you can go like up through Wyoming, you can take like the northern portion or the more southern route is going through Moab and you can't see anything from the interstate. But every time I drive through, I think, man, don't I have like an hour or so that I could just like detour and go look at <laughs> yeah. something? But I never do. You should, especially on the weekends when you don't have anything else to do. Yeah, I'm going to definitely eventually. I just haven't made the time for it yet. Hopefully I I hear that after your first year, maybe first two years of teaching, that you've got your curriculum set, and then I don't have to come home every night and prep for the yeah. next day because it's already prepped last year. So hopefully I'll get to that point eventually and uh, be able to do some more fun stuff. Yeah, well, let me know when you're set, and I'll come and we'll go hiking and uh, and camping or something. Will do. Sounds like you know, a plan. You know what you should do, Andrew, for the what? summer is uh, – Buy a motorcycle and have just like a rucksack ready to go. You just hop on your motorcycle and go. 
I mean, I would love to do that. <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. Maybe I'll get lucky and Daddy lied about uh, selling his motorcycle and he's really giving it to me for Christmas. That that's what the the plan is. <laughs> okay, Tim, if you're listening, you know what to do. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> that's okay. I make lots of money as a teacher, so you know, I'll just I'll go buy one tomorrow. It'll be all right. Oh yeah, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> so. Uh... Well, I, I want to circle back and before we end, ask you a couple of questions that are uh, out of order, but I've done it for all of them. So I, I want to know um, you and, and your parents, uh, whenever you were growing up, what what was your relationship like with them? Um, so, you know, uh, as I kind of alluded to, we're pretty close knit family. Um, but um so growing up, especially how expensive California is, uh, my parents had to work long hours, um, you know. So my mom would, you know, get us up in the morning and my dad would be heading out the door and, uh, you know, she'd take us to school. And then uh, for as young as I can remember, I mean, we went to a babysitter for a little bit, but not for very long. And then, uh, you know. So while I was still in elementary school, you know, we'd come home and be by ourselves for hours, you know, um, just so our parents could afford. So uh, my my relationship with my parents is uh, is has been pretty good. Um, and but like you know, if you didn't catch on, um, I was a very rebellious uh, teenager, and so. Uh, you know, I, I left right at 18. As soon as I was able to get out of the house, I did, um, you know, and, <laughs> and like most other young men, um, who, who joined the Marine Corps, uh, I got tired of being told what to do. So I joined the Marine Corps, um, you know, Where no one tells you what to do, right? You know, <laughs> when you're young, somehow the logic makes sense. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, a few hours later, you're in San Diego, and you can't even uh, can't even move your eyeballs without permission. Uh-huh. And so, uh, but you know, uh, very very quickly, I came to my senses, and uh, you know, and realized that my parents uh, sacrificed a lot for me. Um, you know, and everything that they did was was for the family. You know, and 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 uh, you know, it it doesn't sound out of the ordinary to you and Italia because uh, your parents were very very good parents. Uh, you know, but uh, especially today, more and more, you see kids whose parents are selfish and yeah. don't care for them and don't, you know, don't care to, to think about what they're going to eat or how they're going to be dressed, you know. So um, I, I feel very blessed that my parents' priorities were always me and my sisters, um, you know. And, uh, um, you know, my dad is your your typical, you know, Hispanic conservative, um, you know, he's a very, very macho man. Um, he's, uh, you know, and so, so growing up, you know, especially as a, as a young man, you start thinking that you're macho or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so, you know, I, I butted heads with him a, a few times thinking that I was, you know, this big shot, um, and uh, and then later realized that I was actually very very dumb, and my dad actually had a lot of patience for me. <laughs> yeah. So, 
yeah, you know, I love, I love my parents. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, like, like any, anyone else, you know, there's things that I'm going to do differently as a parent. Um, you know, but, uh, but for the most part, man, I, I hope I can be good parents like they were. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up with one more question for you. If, if you had to narrow it down to one or two things, what would you say uh, that you have learned from your parents if you've learned nothing else? Um, you know, so it, it depends because, you know, from my mom, I'll learn some things and from my dad, I'll learn other things. Um, mm-hmm. My mom is the most selfless person I've ever met, um, you know, to the point where, where, you know, she could be negatively affected. But if somebody else benefits from it, she'll do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm nowhere near as selfless as her, and I never will be. Um, you know, I'm a, a way more selfish than my mother. But uh, she taught me how to be very selfless. You know, um, and and you, you never you never really you can never really measure um, a mother's love. Um, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a mama's boy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, but my mom is, is such a beautiful woman. She's so selfless. And that's, that's what I learned from her. Um, and for my dad, I, he is, like I said, he's such a macho man. He's, he's such a testosterone driven man. You know, he's, uh, and so, you know, um, you know, and, and you know me, Andrew, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I try to, I try to fit certain stereotype, I guess, you know, um, but you know, at growing up and you're trying to be, trying to be a macho man like your dad, um, you know, but you come into situations and circumstances where, you know, God forbid I say, you know, I'm, I've been scared or, or hesitant or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but like even small stuff like going to jujitsu tournament where I'm, you know, I'm competing against other dudes, you know, my dad taught me that you always, you know, you never back down from anything. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? And even, even if, even if you lose, it doesn't matter as long as you showed up and you manned up and, uh, and, and you were mad about it and you gave everything you got. Um, and that kind of makes me think of one of my favorite Bible verses um, from the book of Job, uh, where God tells Job, uh, girdle up thy loins like a man, you know? And, and yeah, every time that I'm hesitant or, or scared or whatever, man, that, that verse always pops into my head, you know, and it's, I don't know. That's, yeah, that's probably my favorite Bible verse, but cause you know, even God, the creator of the universe is telling you to, to be a man about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, from that, that's what I've learned from my parents. Um, obviously they've taught me so much more, but if I had to narrow it down to one favorite thing, I think that would be it. Yeah. That's awesome. Can I, do you have time for one more question? I forgot to ask this one earlier. Is that all right? Yes. Yeah. I just kicked the kids out of the room. So go ahead. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but when, when would you say that, uh, your faith, um, in your life became real to you or when, when you got saved? Um, so I moved here in 2006 and it was later on in that summer that, uh, that I want to say that I got real for me. Right. So Growing up, um, we, 
originally went to a Nazarene church and then uh, later on to a charismatic Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but as a kid, you know, that stuff goes right over your head sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, which is why I'm so amazed at Maya, man. She's like, she is, uh, she is such a, a spiritual kid for her age, you know? Um, that's awesome. So, but like, I can't, I can't remember being a kid and being like that. But uh, 2006, so, you know, I just moved from Los Angeles. Uh, started going to uh, Christ Church Baptist Fellowship. Um, the pastor there is Johnny Pope. Um, oh, we started, really? Yeah, yeah, Johnny Pope's the pastor there. And huh. uh, we started going, and, I mean, we must have stuck out like sore thumbs or something because he immediately came over to us and, you know, started fellowshipping with us. He came over to our house a bunch of times and, Really? You know, answered all. Yeah, he answered all the questions we had about you know, about Christ and stuff like that. And so, uh, I can't remember the exact time frame, uh, but you know, going to that church was such a huge blessing because you realize I, I realized the the gravity of everything that God's done for us, and you know, um, for for me as a teenager to realize that. Christ died for my sins, you know, and then especially when you realize exactly what a sin is and you start yeah. realizing, man, I, I sin every day, um, you know, and, and the disgusting reality, you know, you come to terms with it. Um, and so uh, it was in 2006 for sure. I can't tell you the time frame, but, um, you know, I uh, I came to accept Jesus into my heart um, and uh and I got baptized at Christchurch uh, Baptist Fellowship that year. Um, you know, and I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm not a good Christian by any metric. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's a little rockier than others. Uh, but that was definitely the, the turning point for me. Yeah, isn't that amazing though that like you? Because I mean, I would never have known Johnny Pope except that he comes and speaks at PCC sometimes. You know. Yeah. And that that's the, the guy that was such a big influence on you. And then even you mentioned that for part of your training, you spent a couple of months in Pensacola. And I don't know if that would have been the same time that um, Ty would have been in college at that point or what. But it was. It, yeah. it was. See, that's just that's yeah. crazy. Like you guys, you guys were in the same city for a while and then end up meeting out in Hawaii afterwards. And then you had somebody that affected you so much, Johnny Pope, who she would have heard speak, you know, at Bible yeah. conference stuff like that that's crazy yeah you know so uh even if i don't like her i guess i was destined to marry her there you go man there you go i think um so much for free know. choice right <laughs> free will <laughs> <laughs> hey now johnny pope wouldn't like that <laughs> um, no <laughs> but well brian i really appreciate you taking the time to to do this i know that you along with everybody else that decides to sit for an hour, you know, that's, that's significant time out, out of your day. So I appreciate it. Well, Andrew, uh, you're welcome. Um, because this is a very strange thing for me to be doing. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you did it. You know, that's good. <laughs> and to those of you listening, maybe this was a strange thing for you to be doing listening, but 
I'm sure glad that you did. Hope that you enjoyed it here on the Hobbs Happenings Podcast, where we use stories to bring our family closer together. I'm your host, Andrew Hobbs, and please join us next week as we have yet another wonderful interview with a member of our family to get to know each other more. Until then, toodles. Toodles.